Your financial choices may discuss various financial-related topics and thus would like to offer the following disclosures. Lori Siebert is employed by Valley National Group, the Valley National Financial Advisors Group of Companies. Investments are offered through Valley National Investments Incorporated, member FINRA. We inform you that any federal tax, state tax, financial advice, or information contained in this communication is not intended to be personalized or specific in nature or to be relied upon for your personal situation in any circumstance. The advice and information are not intended and cannot be used as a tax opinion letter nor used for the purpose of avoiding tax-related penalties. For personalized advice specific to your own situation, we recommend that you consult your CPA, CFP, or attorney. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. I'm a CPA, CFP professional, and AEP on the web at yourfinancialchoices.com, and you can listen online each and every week at wdiy.org or on the WDIY app. Today is November. Oh, today is not November. Today is December, December 6, 2023. The markets were down today with the Dow closing at 36,054, the NASDAQ at 14,146, and the S&P at 4,549. Our topic tonight is the 2023 market review and 2024 preview. We are live tonight. We'll take your questions. Cindy's in the studio with us this evening. We'll answer your calls, take your information, and we ask you to mute your radio so you can hear us without the delay and we can talk without confusion. We discuss general financial planning topics and not specific investments. And while I typically have a topic each week, you can still ask questions off topic. I'll do my best to answer them. The phone number is 610-758-8810. Same number we have every week, 610-758-8810. You can talk live on air with me, or if you're not comfortable talking live, just give your question to Cindy. She'll write it down and bring it in. Email is also available through the website, yourfinancialchoices.com. Tonight, a market review with my guest, Bill Henderson. Bill is Chief Investment Officer at Valley National Financial Advisors. He joined the team with more than 30 years of experience, including 26 years at BlackRock. Bill leads the firm's investment department, chairs the Internal Investment Committee, and directs all investment research efforts. In this role, he provides investment analysis and assists the advisory teams with portfolio strategy and asset allocation direction, meets frequently with representatives from global asset managers to discuss their views about the economy and financial markets, and he lends his own current market observations in Valley National's The Weekly Commentary email newsletter, as well as joining me regularly, at least quarterly, on uh, this show, Your Financial Choices. Bill is a native of Pennsylvania and received his undergrad and graduate degrees from Penn State University in the areas of finance and investments. And uh, Bill is going to share some of his market uh, insights with us this evening. Welcome back, Bill. Thanks so much for being here. Thank you, Lori. It's good to be back in the studio. I really appreciate you coming here. Um, I do want to mention one thing, Bill, before we get started relating to uh, our WDIY's recent fall membership drive, where Valley National partnered with WDIY and Second Harvest Food Bank to provide meals uh, in our community. And I we were able to present that check yesterday to Second Harvest Food Bank, and I had a lovely tour uh, from Allison, the... Um, uh, executive director at Second Harvest Food Bank and met January there as well, who's head of development. And it was a, a great tour and they're doing great things there. So I just thought I would mention that because it, it is the time of year where people are looking to um, 
you know, do some charitable giving. And Second Harvest Food Bank of the Lehigh Valley in Northeast Pennsylvania provides food to more than 200 agency partners across a six-county area. Each month, they distribute nearly one and a half million pounds of food that goes to more than 100,000 individuals across our service area. Their numbers in terms of both food distribution and people served have more than doubled since the pandemic. They are still in a food hunger crisis. So I think it's really important that we highlight that. And it's not just in your membership pledges that you were able to help support Second Harvest Food Bank, but this is just a kind of an awareness uh, narrative I'm mentioning because you can do beyond that as well. Community support is key to their work. Monetary donations go a long way at the food bank because they're able to leverage their bulk purchasing power to get the best price. And right now they're running a holiday matching campaign. An extremely generous donor will match all donations to the food bank through the holiday season up to $25,000. So it is a great time for people to donate to double their impact and join uh, Valley National Financial Advisors as well as WDIY in supporting the important organization our community second harvest food bank so thank you for all the workers there who um, do so much um, i'm sure in even working there volunteering i'm sure must have their uh, a, a tremendous amount of their effort as well um, outside business hours so bill um you know we talk about financial choices on the show financial choices include things like charitable giving but also supporting our community uh, but those financial choices also lend themselves in our investment decisions. And quite often this time of year, we do have people asking us about the markets, where they are. We do reflect back on the prior year. We reflect for, we, you know, like to look forward. So recent weeks, we've seen quite the uptick in the market. So uh, especially in November. So I thought maybe you could talk about maybe this rally in, in stocks and bonds, what happened, why, why now? and then kind of look backwards. So just in the past few weeks, and then maybe even going back to January of 2023. Sure, so uh, th thank you, uh, good question. So, you know, November, w what a month, right? It was, uh, if, if I had had this this uh, call with you or the radio show with you a month and a half ago, we'd be having a lot different conversation. But November saw you know, a nearly 9% rally in the Dow. You know, and the Dow Jones Industrial Average is one of the uh, indices. So you have the S&P, the NASDAQ, and the Dow. One of the parts that has really not kept up this year with sort of headline-grabbing uh, NASDAQ and S&P returns, largely because of the, you know, the so-called Magnificent Seven. They're the large the seven tech mega stocks that have really had the bulk of returns this year. But November, that, that changed drastically, and we saw a really... Um, Phenomenal rally uh, across market sectors. You know, as I said, the Dow, um, the the Nasdaq rallied further, the S and P rallied further, and even the Russell 2000, which is the, an index of small cap stocks. And the small caps are really lagged this year, so they went from, you know, negative going into November to positive by the end of November in their positive year to date. All the indices that I have mentioned are are very uh, nicely up year to date. And the last thing we saw in the month of November that was a pretty uh, shocking, at least from a fixed income perspective. And as you know, I'm a fixed income, you know, bond portfolio manager my whole life. You know, we saw the 10-year Treasury go from just under 5% to where it is today, um, 413. I mean, that's incredible. That's an incredible move in a very short time period. And 
if you your, your so your question is why do we have this drastic rally and i would say there were two things that that happened the first was fed chairman jay powell for the first time really had some dovish comments so dovish means i'm not going to continue to raise rates so people investors were happy about that it was the first time you know in this in a nearly 22 month rate hiking cycle where chairman powell said you know we might have done enough We've seen a lot of impact here, so we might be taking yet another pause. And next week, the Fed, the FOMC meets again. So that would be the third time in a row where they did not raise rates. So that's a, that's a pretty long time, so three pauses in a row. And usually you go from one movement, so in this case it would be hiking rates, to a pause. That's what we've seen. And then the next move will be a, a pivot. You pivot to the next cycle, which will be now we're going to start to lower rates. Now, I think we're far away from lowering rates, and we can get into that later. So that was the first thing. That Chairman mm-hmm. Powell walked back some of his, uh, or or at least had some dovish comments. The second thing is we really saw a dent in inflation. You know, I mean, I mean there were some serious indicators that show inflation nearing three percent. Their targets too. People say, okay, now that's within spitting distance of the target. Have we really done enough? And I know I've mentioned it before that interest rate hikes take a long time, you know, eight, mm-hmm. 18 months to work their way through the cycle. So it's been 22 months since they first raised rates. Mm. So maybe it's worked its way through and maybe there's still more to come. And I think Chairman Powell and the, and the Federal Reserve knows that and they're able to say, okay, we've done a lot. A lot of it has worked its way through. We're already at three. Do we really need to risk raising rates further at this point to bring inflation down? And I think there's still a lot of... Um, you know, tightening that's ha- happened in the financial markets that might have to play its way out. So those two things really said to the markets, okay, we're done tightening. The next uh, the next thing we're going to see is lower rates. And the stock market loves that. Small cap stocks really love that because they're the ones that borrow the most. You know, they're the ones that need to borrow money the most. And they are saying, okay, am I going to have finally lower borrowing rates? And then, um, you know, improvement in the bond market, which we really saw. So I want to talk about a couple of the points you just made a little bit more after our first break. Folks, if you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810, 610-758-8810. You could talk live on air with us or off air, whatever you're more comfortable doing. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including fee-based asset management. It all starts with personal goals and an understanding of risk tolerance, investment objectives, and the markets. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. WDIY members have exclusive access to our weekly member ticket giveaway. That's a new drawing every week for the best events the Lehigh Valley has to offer. Concerts, festivals, film screenings, theater performances, and more. Last year, WDIY gave away over 2,000 tickets to our members. So don't miss your chance. Become a WDIY member today. Call 610-694-8100, extension 4, or visit WDIY.org. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY 88.1. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. We're talking with Bill Henderson, Chief Investment Officer at Valley National Financial Advisors for a market overview. We're just kind of talking about what's happened in the past, you know, several weeks, particularly in November where we saw the rally and Bill was mentioning that, uh, you know, the Fed's become a little bit more dovish and that we've seen some uh, inflation slowed down a little bit. So there is still inflation. We're just seeing it not um, creep up. It's kind of coming down, right? So mm-hmm. um, 
that signals some things in the markets. And one of the things you had mentioned, Bill, was that small caps um, also kind of took off in, in part of this rally. And the reason was small caps, you said, like the lower rates. But we haven't necessarily seen the borrowing lower rates yet. But what do the markets always do? They anticipate the future. They're, they're much more yeah. efficient than you and I can be, you know, and then they're seeing, you know, six months, a year down the line, they've, they've already made adjustments and they're, they're thinking, okay, you know, we're going to see a pivot. We're going to see lower rates and, and small capitalization stocks are the ones that are impacted the most. You know, they got hit the hardest and they're the ones that are going to come back if we do see lower interest rates because they, they borrow, you know, they're in a startup phase, they're in a growing phase, and they just don't have a lot of capital. You know, you don't, you don't need, you know, companies like Exxon don't necessarily need to borrow, but small capitalization startup uh, companies do need to borrow. So higher interest rates do impact them much more so. Bill, do you, do you, is there kind of like a timeline where we see the market pricing these things in? Because if we think interest rates are going to come down and you said small caps is see, seeing kind of a rally, it's like, whoops, should I have gotten in like three months ago when they weren't doing so well? Well, I mean, we can't time the market, but is there? Well, you you know what I say when you pass me in the hallways at the office. I say every day is a good day I was to just going to say it's always you know, a good so day to I, buy. So I, I don't really, there's no way I can pick the high or the low. So why bother? Why pay attention to it? And remember, I said the joke the other day in the meeting, you know, I wish we could send our, our client statements every seven years, <laughs> you know, instead of every quarter or every month. I think that would smooth out a lot of the anxiety. You know, uh, that's all it really is. If small cap stocks go down 10% one year, down 10% the next year, and then come roaring back 50%, those two years when you were down, you were hand-wringing and worrying. You know, um, I, I think that, that, but that's investor anxiety. You know, that's really what's out there. And, and there's no way I would be able to know exactly when the right time to get in. And the, the bad thing is you're usually looking back and kicking yourself for not getting in. Very few people say, I'm glad I stayed in. Yeah. You know, they, all, they they always are lamenting, oh, I wish I gotten out or, oh, I should have gotten back in. The two biggest mistakes. So if you just stay in and go worry about your other job or worry about something else, you'll be happier. Yeah, we say maybe you have to stick to the discipline. You have to stick to the discipline and broad diversification should catch it. Absolutely. One way or another. Um, so we talked about the last few weeks and the reason we saw the rally. Why, if you can comment, going back to the beginning of the year, 2022 was just like a blood, well, it felt like a blood bloodbath. Um, it didn't seem like you could go anywhere for, for good returns in 2022. So I think, you know, the anticipation was, you know, 2023, you know, it's got to come back, you know, just historically. But it took a while. So can you kind of lay the you know, the framework for why it was that period of time? Sure. So we, we remember, the Fed was aggressively tightening rates the beginning of this year. You know, we missed the last three meetings of this year. We haven't had additional rate hikes. But prior to that, every meeting, they were hiking 75, 50, 25, whatever the actual rate hikes were. And that's was still impacting. So everyone's, you know, we're saying, well, we're not done. We don't see an end. And inflation was still, you know, reasonably high. It's only in the last, say, month and a half where it's come down to 3%. And, you know, make um, I want to make note that there is still some sticky inflation out there. You know, health care, education, um, shelter to some degree, so rents. But uh, I think we're starting to see some of that come down. And then, you know, things like airfares are still high, but we're also starting to see bargains there. So it's those are the things that, that can come down. The, the biggest piece that's still there 
is the labor supply shortage, and and that is still impacting inflation. And we're, but the good part of that, and I know I've mentioned it here before, is we're seeing wage growth. You know, that's going to be when you ask me about 2024. What do I see, and is there anything out there that's uh, forward-looking? Certainly, continued real wage growth. So, that that has those earlier things I just mentioned are that were really evident the beginning part of this year and really evident in the inflationary numbers but now a lot of the other parts have come down so it took a while you know as we said it doesn't just happen overnight that inflation remember high prices cure Mm -hmm. high prices Mm -hmm. but that can take years and it's Mm -hmm. taken you know pretty long time but we've gone down from nine percent you know 9.1 august of 2022 to 3.18 the last measure that's pretty good. So it seems like it's been working. Now, you mentioned yeah. labor. I know that that is something that you watch, and uh, particularly as people consistently seem to ask about recession, recession. And, Bill, you've been on the show every quarter, and uh, for the past year you've been saying no recession. You didn't see the signs. But folks who don't listen regularly, Bill's got a, a whiteboard in his office, and he, he has these categories that he's always watching for the recession. You've been saying no, yet there were many, many economists who were calling for a recession. They're having to walk that back now. We make a joke at the office that if you keep calling for a recession, someday maybe we will have one and they'll be right. But w- as far as the impact on 2024 of of recession, what what part of the conversation do you think that that has a play when we're also looking at this this labor market where that that's one of the key factors in looking whether we're in a recession or not? A- absolutely, and look, the economy is twenty percent consumption. The U.S. economy is twenty percent consumption, and consumption is consumers consuming. So. Uh, the vast majority I of thought our it was like 70 percent consumption. Oh, I'm sorry, it is 70. Yeah, what did yeah, I say? Okay. 20. Thank yeah, you. Yeah, okay. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm <laughs> thinking uh, different numbers. But yeah, it's it's 70 percent consumption. Thank you for correcting me. And that that means the consumers really drives you know the U.S. economy, and they have been consuming, and they've been resilient, and they've been healthy, financially healthy, with savings built up during the pandemic, with higher wages. You know, wage growth. Seniors got a big raise last year by the COLA adjustment. Mm-hmm. So. They've continued to spend, and we've we've pointed out where spending is, you know, over and over. And and I continue to to see that going into 2024. Um, you know, it, it's as long as the U.S. consumer is working, they're going to be consuming. You know, we're right in the middle of sort of the Christmas holiday shopping season here. You know, retail sales look to be strong all throughout CNBC. All the retailers are coming on Target, Walmart, and et cetera. Macy's. They're all saying, you know, we're seeing a lot of foot traffic. We're seeing a lot of activity. Amazon, again, record sales. I mean, I told you between FedEx, UPS, and Amazon that they're the trucks whipping around my neighborhood all the time. So somebody's buying something, and and that's moving the economy. You know, that's going to continue. Um, As long as the labor market remains solid, I I think that's probably the most important piece of my recession indicator. And nothing yet is showing that. We're seeing a little bit of tick up. You know, we were 3.4% unemployment. Now we're at 38 so that's still below four, four and a half percent is the Fed's target rate of full employment. So we're still below where the Fed believes everybody that should be has a job. Um, job openings, so the job opening labor turnover survey, the JOLTS, is starting to come down. There's not quite as many job openings, but the other part of my whiteboard is all the companies that have laid off people. Right, which I've noticed is there's a lot more companies on your list than yes. w- than a year ago. There's or, a lot. Yeah. There's maybe 25. 
And the vast majority are technology firms. So Spotify was the one that announced the other day. You know, Meta and Google and Apple, they've all mentioned layoffs. But, you know, if you're laying off a a technologist or a programmer or a coder or an engineer, they're probably walking out the door, dialing their phone, and they have a job before they get into their Tesla, you know, and drive home. Hey, they're getting hired by those small cap companies (laughs) that now have money to to, to, uh, pay them. Folks, we're at the second break. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. I'm talking with Bill Henderson, Chief Investment Officer at Valley National Financial Advisors. You can talk live on air with us or... Give your question to Cindy and she'll write it down at 610-758-8810. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including income tax preparation for individuals, businesses, estates, and trusts. Tax preparation involves more than putting numbers on a return. It requires planning. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. WDIY presents a selection of award-winning public affairs programs weeknights from 6 to 7 p.m. Listen to important conversations regarding art, science, politics, and more here in the Lehigh Valley and beyond. Check our website for new topics and archive programs. WDIY Public Affairs on 88.1 FM, streaming at WDIY.org on the app or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siebert. You're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY 88.1. We have Bill Henderson, Chief Investment Officer at Valley National Financial Advisors, giving us some market overview. And we have Cindy answering the calls at 610-758-8810. If you'd like to talk live on air or give a question uh, if you're not comfortable talking live to Cindy and she'll write it down and bring it into us. So, Bill, we uh, did kind of a, a review of 2023, Some got some insights from you moving forward 2024, um, you know, regarding recession indicators, et cetera. I know you also watch corporate earnings. Uh, can you tell our listeners why that's important? Yeah, I mean, that's a, a key indicator for the stock market. If mm-hmm. companies are making money, it's, it's good news. And are they beating Wall Street analyst expectations? So analysts look at the, they scrub the balance sheet, the income statement, they make a prediction of what quarterly earnings should be. And then- Because that's a predictor of like the price you'd be willing to pay for that exactly. company. Yeah, mm-hmm. you, you take stock. current interest rates and expected value going forward. Um, I, I, I've always looked at, so over the past year, one of my- points was, look, companies are making money. And I'm, and I'm old enough to have lived through the uh, GFC, the great financial crisis, when it was terrible. Everybody, you know, companies were losing billions of dollars. And that was really impacting the stock market greatly. You know, right now, not only are companies making money, but they are beating street expectations. So that's something I watch every time someone announces. And, and it's not just did they beat a little bit. Did they really beat? Did they beat on revenues and expectations? And then they look at the forward guidance. And that, that's, that's important. And when we will we'll start to see earnings decline and the impact, why that's important to me, the impact will be on labor. The first thing to go for a lot of companies, especially in the service sector, you know, is labor. You know, what's your most expensive uh, cost with a service uh, company is, is labor. So I'll pay attention to that in terms of earnings and will it be impacted in the in, the, in hiring. Um, like you, you had mentioned, most of the firms on my whiteboard are technology companies. 
when I'll start to get worried about layoffs and impacting um, a potential recession is when manufacturing firms start to lay off people. So if if Caterpillar lays off 10,000 or Ford lays off 25,000 people, that's when we would see some true indicators that, okay, manufacturing slowing down in the United States. And I actually, going into 2024, I have manufacturing as a tailwind. Like, we are going to see a boom in manufacturing, a boom well, in that's what construction I was just spending. Come, because, uh, you know, as a result of the pandemic, wasn't there all this discussion about bringing yeah. more manufacturing onshore, yep. et cetera? You always talk about nearshore, offshore, friendshore. But yeah. <laughs> but that has to have some impact in this. Absolutely. So yeah. I, I said I watch it. I didn't say I'm worried about it. Right. And, and um, you know, if you look at the, the four bills now that the, the, the acts that were passed now uh, i'm not a big government small government it doesn't matter you know this is irrelevant these things passed it was the infrastructure act the inflation reduction act the national defense act and the chips and science act together those four acts passed recently are going to put 3.5 trillion that's t like tango 3.5 trillion dollars into the economy over the next probably five to ten years now, you may have an issue is government efficiency the way to go. It really doesn't matter. Three and a half trillion dollars. We're having a manufacturing boom in this country over the next and building for manufacturing over the next five to ten years that we haven't seen since World War II. I talked to a, a, a client today who's deeply involved in the chip sector, you know, the mm -hmm. uh, semiconductor mm -hmm. chips. And he was recently in Arizona where we're, built, we're already building one chip manufacturer. Another chip manufacturer potentially could be building one. We're building one in Ohio. We're building one in Madison, Wisconsin area. So we are making investments. And if you, you know, look at the Lehigh Valley. There's warehouses. There's distribution centers going up. You know, we are finally investing in our own infrastructure in the U.S. where the rest of the world certainly the developing world and the emerging world have been doing it the last 50 years. You know, we took a pause because we could. We had spent so much money doing it. But going forward, I see that as a big tailwind to economic growth the next couple of years. So when we were talking about um, the corporate earnings and you said, you know, we're looking at those to see how they're improving and most of the layoffs were tech, um, your concern is if it starts happening in the manufacturing sector, but you're seeing that may not be for several years because we're we with all of this uh, funding, we could see that uptick. Right. One of the you know the the funding is one thing. What the funding does is it gives companies um, incentive to invest. You know, like where they may not have built a battery factory in Arizona. Now they may be getting a tax break to do so. They may be so. So the government is just going to give out three and a half trillion dollars. Although they might give out three and a half trillion dollars. Say here, go go with it. They're going to put restrictions around it. But from a corporate standpoint, they're also going to have the opportunity to take advantage of that and maybe have tax breaks. Maybe have side by side investing. Mm -hmm. So it won't be as expensive. It won't be as onerous for a company to build a new factory in the United States. And this is what you were saying about friend showing, near showing, and onshoring. We're doing all that because the supply chain disruptions that hit all companies during the pandemic, no one wants to be in that situation again. It doesn't matter what your operating margins are. When you don't have a top-line revenue, it, it's irrelevant. So we need to be able to build a product to sell it and then worry about where the net margins are. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then you had mentioned about um, building uh, warehouses and manufacturing 
what about housing? So we know that there's a shortage of housing. So why is housing, you know, still strong even within this mortgage rate yes. environment? Great, great, great uh, question. I think the average mortgage rates now maybe seven and a quarter. Okay, that's that's high by recent young people's standards yeah. <laughs> who don't know better. <laughs> high by recent ten-year standards. Okay, but by 50-year standards, it's probably somewhere, I don't know, south of average. Um, but the good news is, compared to pre-Great Financial Recession times when a lot of the mortgages that were put on place put in place during that time of the sort of go-go housing, cri- housing run-up that happened then, the bubble, certainly a housing bubble, they were put on floating rate loans. Mm-hmm. So as the Fed raised interest rates in 2006, immediately floating rate loans got impacted People said, oh, my, my mortgage payment keeps going up and up and up. It's not keeping up with my house. Here's the keys. Walk away. Housing crisis. Boom. It all blows up. The opposite right, is the, the situation right now where about 70% of mortgages that are in force are fixed rate loans that have been put on prior to this interest rate cycle. So I know I've mentioned before my daughter's rate, I believe, is 2.875. Mm. So she's literally in her forever house at least until something, some exogenous event happens where they may move. But that is not the GFC where the loan gets, you know, immediately from 2% to, to 4 to 8 and you're not able to stay in your house anymore. She can afford it, and most people can continue to afford housing. So there isn't that turnover, which brings us back to the shortage, which brings us to why housing prices have kept up, even in a even in the face of higher mortgage uh-huh. rates. Shortage, yeah. And it, it, I had a guest on uh, recently who also said that eventually you could refinance, but if you don't buy now, the cost of homes could far outweigh, uh, the increase in the cost of homes could far outweigh that cost of uh, interest rate of 7% or something. Folks, we're at the halfway point. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810. I'm talking with Bill Henderson, Chief Investment Officer at Valley National Financial Advisors. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services for more than 25 years, including estate planning and tax preparation, especially for Pennsylvania and New Jersey residents subject to state inheritance tax reporting. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. Welcome back. If you have questions, the phone number is 610-758-8810, and you can talk live on air with us, or if you're not comfortable talking live, just give your question to Cindy, and she'll write it down and bring it into us. Uh, again, I'm speaking with Bill Henderson, Chief Investment Officer at Valley National Financial Advisors. We're kind of doing an overview of the markets and some of the things that uh, Bill watches in particular. Uh Bill, we had just mentioned prior to the break about the um, housing and more people are probably staying in what they might call now their forever home because they never want to give up the interest rate that they got as your daughter had like 2.875. And I think the average is probably for for the bulk of people is like three and a half or something. So um, that cost of debt for them isn't something probably that they're necessarily wanting to pay off because now they have maybe more money in their pocket. So when we look at the consumer and how the consumer impacts the economy, which then impacts the markets, we also do look at the debt that they have. So can you, can you just talk a little bit about the impact to the consumer on 
these kind of debt numbers? Sure. So we, we I mean, all, all good introductions there. Every everything was v- very accurate. Um, you know, when you look at the health of the consumer, you know, one of the things we look at is the debt service ratio. So how much debt does a consumer have that's burdening them? The, generally, on most people's financial picture, their largest monthly expense is their mortgage. So we've just pointed out prior to the break that people are, you know, fortunate to have a mortgage with a very low uh, interest rate. So as a percentage of things that they have to pay for, it's still pretty low. That hasn't changed, but they have gotten wage increases since the pandemic. Um, And typically their mortgage payment stays fixed because they don't have that floating rate you mentioned back in 2006. So we have fixed uh, mortgage payments other than escrow possibly so okay so go ahead so low interest rate yes fixed so, payments, so fixed payments higher so wages higher wages so as a percentage you know maybe they have revolving credit card debt and i and i look at revolving credit card debt so that's debt that folks put on credit cards and is it rising you could look at it and say yes it's rising but prior to the pandemic it's it's about even to that looking back at the gfs the great financial crisis it's lower than it was then so debt is lower overall debt service amounts are lower overall which means what the consumer has more money in their pocket if they're saving for retirement they're covering their mortgage they're covering their utilities and their expenses what happens to the x that's left over they spend it and that's where what the economy has been taking advantage of and you know it, the, the consumer has been very resilient in the last several years and they they, they came out came out of the pandemic with a lot of cash in their pockets from stimulus payments and and also from not spending. Remember, we, we took a year off from mm-hmm. doing not everything. So no one was out spending money anywhere. I mean, it, it, that impacted every income segment of, of the, the world. You know, everybody built up cash during that time period. So you come out of that, you have money, then you go into this incredibly inflationary period where some of your things go up in price, but some things stay the same like your mortgage, but also you're getting wage increases. So overall, the consumer is in really good shape, which goes back to my other point. Financially, they're in good shape. They have a job. They're going to spend. And that's 70% of the economy is consumption. So when I look out into 2024, um, you know, I see that as another tailwind. The consumer is a tailwind. Earnings, I think, is a tailwind. Housing is a tailwind. But one thing that, you know, it's tough for me to look really beyond three to six months and i know you had said you know what are you seeing way down the road what is the market price yeah then? what's the the market does its job my job is like three to six months it's it's a lot it's easy to say you know when i look at the data you know what's out there three to six months i, I no one knows beyond that you know and, and even though all the economists got it wrong they, they still don't know and and i am i'm sort of humble enough to know you know the best i can do is look at things in front of me right now and say okay where I'm looking at headwinds and tailwinds going into 2024, and this is like, you know, the first six months of the year, there's some of the, the tailwinds. Also, some sort of bigger picture things we can get into when I, I look at, you know, out there in 2024, what I think is is uh, positive impacts going forward. Um, a, a couple things I, I went through my head as you're talking. Um, I'm on a media team for Financial Planning Association, and one question that came across, I barely respond anymore these days, but one of the questions that came across from a reporter was uh, folks aged, I think it was like 30-something to 41 maybe, seemed uh, it's predicted or forecasted that they're going to go into retirement with more 
money than their parents and going back to you know what and i started looking at the dates like when would they have been born when would they have been kids and i'm thinking they were all impacted by the 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 great financial crisis that their parents experienced losing jobs or getting threatened to lose their jobs or this the housing that all of a sudden what we may not realize is this whole demographic is gun shy i've seen these same kids late 30s early 40s who are who have no mortgages they've paid them off and i think what how on earth like young people so they also now have more to spend too so i I thought that was just kind of interesting but then um having more money in people's pockets what we've also seen if you can kind of talk about this and it may relate to another key um element you watch i think is is banks and how they're doing we've seen tremendous amounts of cash that either getting invested in cds or money markets or treasuries how how does what do we have to pay attention to there yeah that, that, that's important that's uh disintermediation when deposits leave banks and go elsewhere um for the last year where they have gone where those deposits have gone is to money market funds so these are sometimes um in you know guaranteed by the the not fdic but treasury only money market funds sometimes municipal sometimes uh prime but that's for another episode but the the point is the yields on money market funds are you know in the five percents now whereas bank deposits had not kept up so for an easy switch you move your money into a money market fund and money market funds are at record as record levels right now and um generally that precedes you know, bull markets elsewhere because of that, but that is not always, and I don't like to make those types of predictions. But what we have seen is the money leave banks, but also bank lending has really dropped, really dropped off, you know, precipitously. If you look at a chart over the last 10 years where banks used to be the lender of resort to small, midsize, and even larger companies, that has been replaced a lot by private credit institutions. So big companies, big Wall Street firms like, like Blackstone or uh, J.P. Morgan's credit arm in some degree, you know Apollo, names like that, that are filling in for where banks used to be. And a lot of that is because coming out of the GFC, banks were beaten up and bruised, and they had really serious restrictions put on them because think how much money you know the the troubled assets reform cost us the TARP funding. So. Um, Washington said no more. You know we're gonna we're gonna really put tight restrictions on you. You're not gonna be able to do risky lending again, which was a good thing. But in a lot as, as often happens with the case with legislation, it goes too far the other way. And now banks have really reined in a lot of their lending. So the, the disintermediation hasn't helped that hurt them that much. And what we'll see is as interest rates come down, money market funds will no longer offer what people feel is an enough of an enticement to stay there and you could see that money either being um, invested spent or invested in things other than investment securities like you know building things like that or buying a house you mentioned the the 30 to 40 co- you know that's the millennials and they were immediately impacted uh, by the GFC they saw it in their parents they were it's kind of like you know people raised in the depression right always have that depression right. era you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to have leapfrogged over any really bad period, <laughs> right. you know, so so I'm just like been hanging around. Um, but you, you look at the millennials and, you know, yeah, I want to pay down my mortgage. I don't want to yeah. be thrown out. But they are 
you know, they haven't quite settled down necessarily with kids yet, but they're doing experience spending, so living a different life. Whereas the boomers settled down quickly, spent that way, threw the kids out of the house, and then went and spent in travel and leisure. So it's just, you know, what the demographic wants to do. It's really, if you really want to read a great book, it's called What You Are Is Where You Were When. And it talks <laughs> what all, you are is where, where you, you were, were when. when. And it talks about what the person you are has to do with where you were between the ages of 10 and 15. Forever that sort of implants oh. your personality. Really a phenomenal set of books. Tough to find. I can tell you, I've I've scoured the internet. I've, I've watched them. It, uh, it was a video or a book, you know, years ago. But it's really interesting. But I think what you're saying is, you know, different demographics react differently to the issues and they spend differently and right now we're seeing different patterns spend and you know the boomers are now in the you know total retirement stage where they are starting to travel again starting to see grandkids and and do things like that and that'll be a different type of spending whereas i think the millennials are being very cautious with their money they're investing it they're paying off their mortgages and then they'll see about you know What's next? Well, a lot of them also want to retire earlier because they they saw their parents, you know, stressed out to the max. So they all (laughs) want to retire at 50. (laughs) But they have to remember we're all living longer. So that that has an impact as well. Um, Bill, you had um, mentioned about, uh, you know, after the pandemic, there was some, you know, government uh, support, you know, funding, etc. People had maybe a little bit more in their pockets and they were able to save then. Um, You also mentioned the four acts that are going to help with some of the infrastructure and, you know, bringing manufacturing back here. So what is the impact when we're looking at the markets, the impact the government um, has on the economy as well? Do you feel like there's a positive impact? Do you? Hmm. Good question. Um, I you know, a, a lot of people believe the markets are like insulated from what happens with the government or they're not related to the government or they happen completely independent. Uh, that None of that. I mean, look, where's the Federal Reserve headquartered, yeah. right? It's right there in Washington. And, you know, Chairman Powell may be one of the most powerful people in the world, but eventually reports up to President Biden. I mean, eventually, certainly they, they are independent and everything that happens happens by people electing people to various um, positions of authority. Um, but, you know, we, we can't even, when you look at investments, you know, if you wanted to, to build a factory, think of what's required to get that factory up and running. You know, it's, it's permitting, it's safety features, it's, you know, labor laws. Uh, um, a lot of times people say, oh, the, the, you know, that's bad. You know, the U.S. puts walls up for that. But if you look at infrastructure around the world and when giant buildings collapse and 3,000 people die, you wonder how is that possible? Well, they may not have all the laws that we have in place to protect that. We, you know, we have things that have probably become bloated over the, the many, many years, but they started with, with good intentions. But, you know, the, the, what is it about intentions? <laughs> Another line. But um, I, I think... That's gov- a good point, though. You yeah, know, thinking I mean, that through. Yeah, it's a good know, point. There's certainly a place for all of that. And I, I, as you know, I'm a, a less regulations person. I'm a lower tax person. But Wall Street and the markets don't really care one way or the other about more regulations or more taxes or less regulations or less taxes as long as they can predict what's coming. And, you know, if it, like the election, next year is an election cycle. 
Uh, generally, you can ask me this later, but it's usually irrelevant what happens in an election cycle. Um, mostly, it's that period of, of what's going to happen that concerns markets. If you know the person coming in is absolutely going to raise taxes, they're elected, it's over, it's done, you know what the cabinet looks like, Wall Street will do fine. Or the opposite, Wall Street will do fine. It's that period of uncertainty, an uncertainty in, in either direction that worries investors. And, you know, I've said that to you in the office and on the show a lot. It's it's not, you know, necessarily bad news. It's, you know, not knowing what's coming. The, that's the most fearful thing for the markets, you know, that period of uncertainty and turmoil. Well, good. And I want to talk a little bit more about that when we come back from the break. If you have questions, there's still time. The phone number is 610-758-8810, 610-758-8810. We're talking with Bill Henderson, Chief Investment Officer at Valley National Financial Advisors, and getting some of his insights, and we appreciate his time being here. We'll be back in just a moment. WDIY thanks its members and Valley National Financial Advisors, offering a broad spectrum of financial services including portfolio management, tax return preparation, and financial planning for the accumulation years, retirement years, and estate distribution. On the web at valleynationalgroup.com or 610-868-9000. American folk music offers a variegated pattern of performers and styles. I'm Tom Druckenmiller, your host for In the Tradition. Together we'll trace the roots and branches of American folk music from the earliest recordings and performers through today's talented players. In the Tradition, Wednesday evening from 7 to 9 p.m. on WDIY 88.1 FM and WDIY.org. Welcome back to the show. This is your host, Lori Siever. You're listening to Your Financial Choices right here on WDIY 88.1. Podcasts and prior shows are also available on many streaming services, as well as WDIY.org under Public Affairs or at YourFinancialChoices.com, where you can also submit questions, and uh, I can email you back. We are speaking with Bill Henderson, Chief Investment Officer at Valley National Financial Advisors. Bill visits us quarterly to give us his insights, but we particularly enjoy speaking at this time of year uh, to be able to kind of do like a review of the prior year and looking forward. So we've um, been able to, uh, Bill's been able to share a lot of his insights. So Bill, we were just talking about like the government impact. I thought that was really important. Um, you know, you mentioned the, the, the purpose that it serves and why. Um, I often hear when we're coming up on an election year, I mean, often, this is often, and I want to put this to bed once and for all, often people have concerns that the election is going to impact the markets. It's like, what are you doing for my portfolio to protect me from the election? <laughs> so let's talk about that. Right. You'll, you'll never put this to bed. And, <laughs> and the re one of the reasons is it only happens every four years. <laughs> they so forget. people have very, very, very short memories. If we gave out the seven-year statements, they might forget. So we're going to keep lobbying for that. Um, yes, it is an election year next year. And thankfully, you don't hear a lot of... Uh, we're not getting bombarded with advertisements yet on television. Of course, I'm a big tr streaming person, so I, I hate ads as another side story. But, you know... This, you know, the, the way both parties, the Republicans and the Democrats, have, have manufactured the election cycle, it's very early condensed. And, and what I mean is it's designed so that there's a front runner in both parties by the end of March. You have 
Iowa, January 15th, the Iowa caucus. You have New Hampshire and Nevada, February 8th. South Carolina, February 24th. And then Super Tuesday on March 25th. By the end of March 25th, on that day, with those results, it'll be done. We'll know who the two candidates are. Unless there's some event that takes one of the one of the whoever they are out for some <laughs> other reason, you know, but but we will know that quickly and everybody all the other contenders out there will coalesce around the two front runners and then it'll be off to the races and that's when the news will get bombarded by by advertisements. But you know we'll we'll know very very early on who the the two candidates are for president. And I'm assuming it'll be uh, President Biden unless there's an instance and for right now, I mean, you know, Donald Trump is is leading in the polls, but the polls it's it's he may have 50% and then all the other candidates have 50%. So that simply means 50% of the people haven't made up their mind. So I, I would not necessarily um, bank on the outcome of the Republican Party just yet. I'd want to see, you know, we'll, we'll wait till Super Tuesday. And and the, the other piece of it that makes that period from now till Super Tuesday so important is the rules around, you know, uh, the primary and is generally the winner of a state's primary gets all of the the votes. So there isn't a second place in Iowa. There's only first place. And then they get those points to win their their um, their party's ticket. So that that's difficult. Um, so we'll see early what happens. The, the more important thing for us and for your listeners and for your clients is to know that over all cycles of the U.S. election, going back as long as we can keep records, it doesn't matter. <laughs> all markets rally after an election cycle, meaning the stock market, the bond market, they all generally do well, except when there's been some really horrible event that you know you could see in various times of an election cycle that that has impacted the markets. You know, a pandemic, a war, something where I, I call those exogenous events like a black swan mm-hmm. when you know you can't predict it, and you know no one would be blamed for missing it. But going forward, people model that now. At least now we'll be modeling. You know, a pandemic shutdown, you know, in, in mm-hmm. future models and things. So there can be a little bit of volatility, as you know, from what you've said, for a little bit of unknown period of time. But that volatility doesn't uh, rarely um, sticks to the extent that it causes a huge impact on market returns. For the most part, it's just kind of, right. you know. So, so I was awake at during the... Trump uh, Clinton election cycle 2016 and I was up at like you know 2 a.m. I saw futures go you know we had a we had a, a group chat among all the investors of my firm and there was um you know we saw futures go down 900 points when it was evident that Trump was winning because the markets had assumed what that Hillary was yeah. going to win so all of a sudden the tables get turned Trump's going to win Oh my gosh, we weren't predicting this. We weren't expecting this. Uncertainty, fear, all the blah, 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 all that happens and the markets get crushed. But then people started to say, well, wait, isn't he a business person? Isn't he going to lower taxes? Isn't he going to force investing? And the markets turned around on a dime. And if you're foolish enough we to- We rationalize be- yeah. anything anyway, <laughs> right? Of course. <laughs> if you're foolish enough to invest at 2 a.m. in the morning on election night, you probably got your shirt handed to you. And if you just woke up and you wouldn't have seen that reaction to the- to the markets, you know, the futures mid midway through the middle of the night. But 
So well, you know, it even go- goes to the pandemic too, Bill, because we saw a huge dip there, and that kind of came back quickly too. And and I always try to remind folks that if if you plan and you have your emergency reserve and you have your short term bucket for any of those expected large expenditures you should be able to tolerate some swings in the market. So, And it's about diversification as well, yep. sticking to the discipline. Absolutely. Look, you, ta- you taught me the bucket strategy. <laughs> you know, where you, you, If you have three to five years of cash for things that come up, you can pretty much weather any storm as long as you have the, you know, the stomach to take a big downturn. The mm-hmm. pandemic was big. I mean, that was mm-hmm. a big drop mm-hmm. in the markets. You know, mm-hmm. just, and it was so quick and so mm-hmm. volatile, so fast. Whereas the, the great financial crisis was a two-year pain point. Mm-hmm. That that felt way worse to me, but the actual drawdown was worse than the pandemic. Mm-hmm. It just was such a fast turnaround. Mm-hmm. You know, the GFC just felt forever. Every day it was something mm-hmm. bad. You know, we, we got through the pandemic a lot quicker. Yeah, that's for sure. Um, so what concerns do you have? Do you have any worries going forward? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I would say um, I'm going to keep, you know, I, I think, the tailwinds outweigh the headwinds right now. You know, looking looking out into 2024, mm-hmm. um, I think there's limited risk of a recession for the first say two quarters. For a lot of the things I've already mentioned, I think um, you know we have a strong household, we have strong real uh, strong um, I'm sorry household wage growth. We have a strong housing market. Companies are still making money. I think um, the drag on the economy from monetary policy, so the tightening of interest rates. It's going to dissipate and probably mid-year, you know, futures are already pricing in Fed cuts in March. I don't see that. I cannot imagine a pivot that fast. You know, that's that's like three and a half months. Mm-hmm. It's almost unheard of without some event. So I think they're, they're a little ahead of the game and we'll get some, some words from Chairman Powell next week. Um, I think, but globally, interest rates will be coming down next year. I think most of the rest of the world, U.S. included, will realize, okay, we've taken... A lot of the pressure out, inflation's down. We can start to think about lowering rates. And the minute they say oh, we're thinking about lowering rates, you know, the market will have already reacted, which is a good thing. Um, I think we're going to have a recovery in the manufacturing sector. So I think that's really a, a continued recovery. So that's going to be a good thing. And, you know, inflation's going to come down. I think that'll be overall good for spending, overall good for the consumer. We'll see some of those stickier things I mentioned before. Shelter coming down, health services, education might come down. I think that's a, another positive. So I haven't mentioned concerns. All I've mentioned are, are, are good things, and I'm sorry. But my concerns, you know, we have some global turmoil right now, you know, with Israel, Hamas, Russia, Ukraine going on two years now. Um, you know, China, U.S., I think we got a little bit of a pause with the, the Asia-Pac summit we had in, in San Francisco with uh, Xi and uh, Biden meeting and working through some issues. That doesn't mean it's all, you know, backslapping, but <laughs> at least they're talking. And the two largest economies in the world have to get along. You know, th- there's no doubt about it. W- if we're talking, we're not at war. So th- that that's good. But those three things, if, if the Mideast thing spreads beyond where it is and becomes a problem, you have, you have, remember, oil comes out of the Middle East, natural gas comes out of the Middle East, and those areas are replacing Russia and Ukraine right now for their oil and gas supply. So that's a little fragile. Mm-hmm. If Russia and Ukraine spills over into Europe, highly unlikely. But, you know, can a regional skirmish spill out and become a big global event? Maybe. I mean, I don't know. And But 
Those are the things I worry about. I think banks have to you know, get back into the picture. And I think lower rates in money market funds are going to give banks an opportunity to, again, get money back in from depositors. And then maybe able to start to lend again. That's going to help small cap stocks. It's going to help, help small companies. So, uh, you know, things I worry about, you know, the, the global turmoil, um, you know, banks, I think if we get through that, that's that's a get through the troubles we had last spring. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I the, the data, I'll continue to watch. I'll continue to pay attention to things, especially, you know, things that I think are really easily obtained and understood, you know, without being that deep. Mm-hmm. And I know you don't make predictions. You don't want to make predictions, but market returns for 2024? Better than 2022 for sure. Hopefully, knock oh, on yeah, wood. No guarantees, yeah. but I'm, 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 <laughs> anything could be better than 2022. I'm a little bit confident, but I could say better than 2022. <laughs> uh, um, but you know, so there's this talk of is the 60/40 portfolio dead? 60% stocks, 40% bonds. Um, in the last two weeks, I've heard more professionals at big firms say the 60/40 is back. You know, one month of returns, and everybody's bragging that it's back, but. Think about what we have now. We have bonds, you know, returning. If if you have a barbell portfolio or, or a reasonably placed portfolio with a duration of five years, kicking off a um, you know, you know, put put to work at a yield of four to five percent, that's a good ballast now. When we were at zero, bonds had no room mm-hmm. to, to fall apart. Any movement in price down, you were gonna get destroyed because you were not getting any coupon. Mm -hmm. Bonds are now paying a coupon. So that's a decent part of a portfolio. If stocks return two and a half percent from dividends and another two to four percent from from some price appreciation, the 60-40 portfolio looks pretty good. And I'm really parodying a lot of the people that said that this week. But they they made a lot of sense. What about the 95 5 portfolio? <laughs> well, that's me. I'm a, I'm 100 0. So yeah. I'm right with you. Yeah. I you know yeah. Well, you, know, you got some cash in the bank, I'm yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So my wife my wife in. might be listening. I don't I don't want, we don't talk about cash. You know, but um I she's in charge of everything by the way. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good way to do it. Um Bill, it's been great having you. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. We'll bring you back on probably after the first quarter to yeah. talk about the first quarter and at that time I want to find out um, if the Fed uh, lowered rates because you said you don't see it happening. So yes, we'll, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that well, for listen, the first quarter. Listen next week for Chairman Powell's press conference when he'll, he'll probably walk back this aggressive, you know, uh, easing that the markets are pricing in for that reason. And we'll see, you know, we'll see what happens. But I, I'll continue to watch the data and, you know, read the whiteboard. Okay, and uh, we appreciate your insights in the weekly commentary as well that that, uh, Valley National puts out. So thank you, Bill Henderson. Next week, I have uh, Rob Ziobro from actually Valley National Financial Advisors as well because uh, Rob is our IT guy, and he's all over cybersecurity, and I don't think we can talk about that enough. So I am so appreciative that he'll be here with us next week and give us some insights as consumers as to what to watch out for. Um, thank you, Cindy, for being here. Thank you, Peter. Again, thanks, Bill Henderson. Coming up next, we have Tom Druckemiller within the tradition folk music. Remember, pay attention. Be proactive, not reactive. Make the best of your financial choices and have a great week.